wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock this evening. Our number is 0800 150811. 0800 150811. We've just finished uh, our next two Super Rugby shows uh, for the year. We are going to continue doing these right throughout the Super Rugby season. So Monday, uh, I wasn't on. What I was on, we had the Crusaders show uh, in the red with Justin Marshall. Also from next week, Peter Alatini is back. We're going to be uh, doing Pacific Flair, uh, covering Moana Pacifica uh, tonight. We had, of course, uh, Carmo was just in Ian Jones talking Chiefs with Chiefs Mana. And Joey Wheeler is now the, uh, the the main man for Super South talking the Highlanders. He was uh, on from 7 to 7.30. Interesting that they are both, both absolutely amped about the locking stocks of both of those teams. Uh, it's interesting to see where they go and how they go because, you know, Joey was very effusive about that. He thought that, you know, that was going to give them the edge against the Blues this weekend. Keen to get your thoughts. Are you a Highlanders fan or are you a Chiefs fan? I mean, we look at the locking options for the Highlanders uh, this season. Putty Putty Parkinson is back in fit. They've got Josh Dixon. That's your, your, your top two locks there. But Fabian Holland a big talent coming through, Max Hicks, and a young young star out at Otago as well. In Will Tucker, plus they have depth, uh, not just at 5'8", where they've got Cam Miller, Freddie Burns, Mitch Hunter, Marty Banks, but also at halfback. Now, no Aaron Smith for the first couple of games, but they do have Falau Fakatava. He has uh, recovered a lot better than they thought he was going to, so he is there. They've also picked up Ti Toiroa Tahurorangi, uh, who was at the Crusaders last year. So he is a, 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 another guy who's played New Zealand Māori, played for the All Blacks as well as a halfback. And they've got James Arscott out of uh, the Otago region as well. So lots of depth there. Do look a bit skinny on the outside backs. And, you know, if Josh Timo and Thomas Umunga Jensen get injured, uh, it raises some questions about the midfield. But if you're a Highlanders fan, how are you feeling about the 2023 season? Opening game down your neck of the woods Saturday against the Blues. Uh, so let us know, 0800 150 Now, we also had Carmo on talking the Chiefs and the Chiefs. Man, if you thought those locking stocks at the uh, Landers was impressive, how's this? Tupu Vai'i, Manaki Selby Rickett, Josh Lord, Lachlan McFannell, Naitoa Akoi, Brody Retallick. That is pretty damn good, isn't it? That's their, lock, their locking stocks and even... 
you know, with Peter Gus and Sam Kane and Luke Jacobson, uh, Caelan Beauchere potentially coming off the bench there. Uh, Lucy's looking strong. I've got options at halfback too. Brad Webber's obviously going to be the number one, but Xavier Rowe and Cortez Ratama did great jobs last season. I've got Josh Uwani and Bryn Gatlin as, as their tens. Uh, Damian McKenzie, you can play ten or you can play fullback. Then you've got Sean Stevenson as an option there as well. Etienne uh, Nanai Sitoro is another option. Nanai Punavai, the pickup from Canterbury, can do a job outside as well. And you know, then you you look at those midfield backs. I know Quinn Tupai is missing for a little bit yet, but Anton Leonard Brown is back. Him and Alex Nankerville, great. Uh, Romeka Poipi had a great NPC season for Canterbury. So the Chiefs looking solid as well as they go to take on the Crusaders this weekend. Your thoughts if you're a Chiefs fan? Uh, keen to hear from you. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Super Rugby season is just about upon us, and uh, there are lots of talking points. To tell you the other thing, that we're seeing this season probably more than I can ever see it, uh, I can remember it. Now, I know Pablo Mateta played for the Crusaders last season, uh, but this season, uh, there's a few more uh, imports coming in uh, to play in Super Rugby for these New Zealand teams. Uh, John Ryan... Uh, the Irish prop, he's played a heap of games for Munster, he's played for Ireland as well. He is in the Chiefs squad this season. And then, of course, at the Highlanders, uh, they've also brought in a couple of imports. Freddie Burns, the former English 10, uh, he's 32 now, played, I think, 15 tests for England. He's there, and they've also brought in, and this hasn't been talked about so much, is Martin Bogado, the Argentinian, who can play wing or fullback. He's, he's come down from Bayonne, uh, in Bayonne in France as well. So, so a few different looks there. And then Richard Whiffen, the English uh, attack coach at the Highlanders, Got a few, a, a little bit of uh, imported uh, thoughts. Is this New Zealand rugby broadening out their horizons and thinking, we, we, you know, if we're going to battle the North, we need to learn from the North a bit more as well. Uh, interesting too, Paul Feeney, who's come in at the Chiefs as an attack coach, uh, or sorry, as an assistant coach. Uh, he was talking, I mean, that is a bloke who just lives and breathes rugby and. Boy, he has been around the clock as well. He was at the Blues. He was the coach of Auckland. He's coached Harbour as well. Uh, and then he had some time with the Stormers. He was the attack coach for the Stormers in South Africa too. So he's seen a few things. He's in at the Chiefs. So different looks at different things, getting some a different know-how in there as well. It's going to be an exciting season of Super Rugby. Keen to hear from you and what your picks are for this weekend. And see, if you do want a tip, I like this. I mentioned it on Monday actually with Beaver uh, when I was doing the run home. Uh, but I think it's going to be a tight game. The Crusaders-Chiefs, right? Um, they they played last season, I think, three times, and it was always tight where, between those two teams. Well, the Crusaders are paying $1.42, and the Chiefs are paying $2.90. So Crusaders big favourites at home. But I like this option because I think this is going to be tight, and I think uh, last season we saw that play out as well. But the Chiefs, with the point start, the Chiefs plus 7.5 is paying... $1.82, so that's that's my tip for the weekend, that's uh, that's where I'll be putting some, um, I know the Highlanders are big outsiders, even though they're at home against the Blues, they're paying three twenty to Blues, $1.37, uh, but uh, you know the Highlanders at home, I think the first game of Super Rugby last season, the Highlanders played the Blues as well, and the Highlanders won that one, 
um, and it was, you know, uh, the Blues went on a, a winning run after that. It was the, the only game they'd lost for a long period of time. Uh, but even the Highlanders, their point start at home of plus 8.5, paying $1.87, is not the worst either. So your thoughts on Super Rugby. What are you looking forward to this season? Who's your team and how do you think they're going to go? 0800 150 811. 0800 Had a... Uh, Text come through from Chris. He says, I feel like the Drua are going to be really good this season. I'm picking them to make the quarters. That's a good call, actually, Chris. I saw the other day the Drua, I think it was Thursday last week, played their last preseason game. They played against the Western Force, and they won that game. Get this, 48-38. So their defense was optional. Uh, But I think they were ahead something like 41-12 to at halftime and then made a bunch of changes. So if that happened, uh, then you know if they keep, if they keep their best fifteen on the park, uh, what are they going to look like? Because yeah, that they put the force away and and looked like they were doing it pretty easily with their top side out there. Uh, also, how good would it be if each team had three overseas players? Yeah, well, that's uh, an option. I mean, it's heading that way. They're allowed two, uh, and I think the only team New Zealand team that's done that so far is the Highlanders. They've got their two. Um, and they're both backs, which is interesting. Um, but, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, the Reds over the Canes. Canes never play well first game. Well, actually, that's a good shout as well, Chris. Now, the, at the moment, the Reds are paying $2.40. I would get all over that because uh, no, nothing against the Canes, but the Canes have got a few injury problems. So Ruben Love's not going to play, and Brett Cameron's not going to play, and I've heard that Balen Sullivan's not fit either. Uh, so they're looking a bit thin at the back. So that could mean Aidan Morgan uh, to start 10, although I'm not sure he's 100% fit. So what do they do there? Uh, and, of course, uh, no TJ Pietanara either. So they're lacking a bit of leadership. So I think the Reds at $2.40 is a really good option if you're looking to make an investment on Super Rugby this weekend. Thanks for your text. Chris double three is the text line. It is coming up 10 past 8. When we come back, we're going to switch focus. We're going to talk a bit of cricket. Former Auckland coach Mark O'Donnell is going to join us. We're going to talk about the depth in New Zealand rugby, particularly in the longer form of the game, and talk about some of the selections that the Black Caps have made for the series against England that have got us scratching our heads. It's a quarter past eight here on SENZ. This is Extra Time with Ricardo Ball through till 11 o'clock this evening. Uh, joining us now to talk cricket is former Auckland coach Mark O'Donnell. G'day, Mark. How are you? All good. It's Alive a, and well. Alive and well. That's what we like to hear, mate. That's what we like to hear. They're keeping you busy? Uh, here and there, yeah. yeah. That's what we, yeah, that's good, mate. That's good. That's good. Hey, listen, I wanted to get you on because I've been scratching my head and I've been talking to a few people who are scratching their heads about some of the selections around the Black Caps for this test series uh, against England. And, you know, talking to Daniel McCarty the other day, he, he basically said, well, it's around depth. Who else have we got? So I wanted to get your take on, on that um, and on some of the selections. But first of all, mate, I mean, where do you think New Zealand is at when it comes to depth, uh, particularly for the for the longer form of the game? Well, you're missing a world-class bowler in Bolt. Um, the guy that generally plays when either Southie or Bolt hasn't has been Matt Henry. He wasn't around either. Uh, it's difficult to replace that amount of experience especially when you've ended up having to go to a couple of speed especially with the way England are trying to play. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the interesting thing for me because, you know, as for everything I understand about Bay Oval, it's a place where you want bowlers who can swing the ball. And so you bring Jacob Duffy in, but you don't play him, but you do bring in Scott Kugeline, who uh, Steve Harmison in commentary on Talk Sport described as a club bowler. Kugi's uh, a fair bit better than that, but you're going to be nervous in your first test, and he's a bit of a bang bowler as is Tickner. And that's what England are looking for. Uh, sitting back and looking for boundary options. So, I mean, on on that front, though, I mean, if you've got, you know, I mean, Bay Oval, if you're you're taking an Auckland side to play ND at Bay Oval um, and you know it swings and you've got the choice between selecting Jacob Duffy and your attack or Scott Kugeline, who are you selecting? Ideally, you want the swing something different. Um, I know they took guys to... India and an A trip, and I think Ben Lister went as well. Mm. You just want enough variety, and that's what Bolt brought. You can't underestimate the loss of not picking one, a left armer, and two, a left arm swing bowler. Mm. Um, so until they figure out how they're going to work their contracting system around black caps and how that works, if they go and do something else, they're going to have this problem magnified in the next couple of years because. We're not in Australia, we're not in England, we're not in India. Certain guys, when they're coming towards the end of playing international cricket for 10 years, are going to take some of these pretty reasonable T20 options that come up in front of them. So, I mean, we look at, at bowling options. Uh, I, you look at that bowling lineup for, for the Bay Oval Test, for example, right? So we've got Tim Southey, who swings the ball and he's the skipper, so he's definitely playing. You've got Neil Wagner... Uh, who's been around for a long, long time, been a great servant for New Zealand cricket. Um, and it feels like him, Tickner and Kugeline are all very similar. Um, am, I, am I right in that assumption? Yep. It's, uh, they're pretty much bang, hit the deck bowlers. <clears throat> it's, it's what England are looking for. The way England are playing, they're not going to change it. I would think we would need to, to, be, to have a really crucial plan of bowling, whatever it is, one length, one side, particularly one side, and have people in defensive positions. They are not going to change the way that they are going to play. Um, they got the, the, the best of the conditions because they made sure they had quick runs to make sure that they were bowling under night. Now, the difference is unbelievable with a pink ball at night or in twilight in those conditions. It changes, it basically changes what the, the entire surface is played like over the course of the day. So, bolts a hole that is not easily going to be replaced. I don't know how you're going to do that. I think Wags has lost a little bit of pace, and mm. then you're bringing two debutants in where these guys are going to sit back and wait for them to miss. Well, you know, and that's kind of my point. You've got... Uh, you know, Wagner, who, who's not 140 anymore, he's about 125, 127. And, and then you've got two guys doing effectively the same thing. Um, are they, you know, is Gary Stead a bit guilty of, of having too much of the same? Again, you go back to Bolt, left arm swing bowler. Mm. It's, it's the difference. Um, I mean, there's if you, not that many of them about. No, I mean, you mentioned Ben Lister, and I know they did. I, I said they had Jacob Duffy there. I mean, if you were going to be putting a bowling that bowling attack together for that test, who would you have gone with out of what was available? I would have 
hoped you might have considered the swing bowling option. I don't know whether it really swung that much. It did at night, but it certainly didn't that much during the day. Um, but limitations in and around that, and if you bowl at night, the chances of you getting early wickets. So we also, that's double-edged. You need success from your top order. If you're not going to get that in your top order twice, you're not going to win tests. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the other thing is batting, and we'll get to that for a mo- in a moment. But, I, you know, there was a stat that stood out to me. I mean, England only had to bat once in that twilight condition with the pink ball, and we batted twice in that. Now, when we batted t- twice in that over that, that, that peri- period of two days, we scored 100 runs and lost eight wickets. England batted once in that, I think, scored 70-odd and lost two. Um, so is that about application from the bowlers? Is it about the quality of the batsmen? Where, where do you think that lies? Five. England are going to come hard at us. That is not going to change at all. And so the ball flies. And if you miss, if you've got young inexperienced, in that case, Tickner and Kugi are, because they're playing their first test, they're one, they're nervous. But they are not stacked four, five, six in the similar areas of Sally and a Boltwell. They're going to give you opportunities to score. If that's what we've got, then we've got to decide very, very quickly, can we actually bowl to them with more defensive game plan? Because they aren't changing how they're going to come at us, whether it's at the basin or whether it's their red ball might be a little bit different, and obviously not having Henry. So you would you would double miss, no bolt, no Matt Henry, only Tim Southey. And they were always going to come hard. They were, they were, and they, they seemed to have a very good plan for Wags as well. I mean, I, I don't know how much of a stat man you are, Mark, but uh, the I think his opening spell in the second innings uh, was the most expensive opening spell by a bowler in Test history. Uh, he went for 104 off eight overs, I think it was. Yeah. They're not going to leave him. They're not going to try and defend and knock it. They are looking to hit you. They're looking for boundaries. I think the more that we can actually understand that, and it's very difficult to Tim's also a relatively inexperienced captain. And to go into that with an experienced attack and then have guys try and climb into you at five, six, seven, and eight and over, you just keep feeling you're bleeding the whole time. Mm. Or what do I do now? Or who do I bowl? Races is as well. As, as much as he's going, he is still learning his craft. Yeah, that, and that, I mean, that's another interesting one is about the, about the spin options. We can talk more about that as well. But um, on that then, I mean... We've got. I saw uh, Ronnie Heder uh, was uh, was tweeting, uh, you know, saying, "Look, you know, we're not in the World Test Championship reckoning anymore. We can't win this series. Uh, is it a ch- is it an opportunity now with a, a squad that's all kind of aging at the same time? They're all over thirty uh, to get some young blood in there to get a Glenn Phillips in there to get, uh, you know, I don't know if he mentioned being listed, but to look at trying a few things and and, and blooding a few players in the second test." Well, I, I would have thought it was. Um, you've got one of the middle order guys that hasn't got too many runs for a while. Um, and somebody like Phillips that has gone pretty well when New Zealand have picked them in other formats. Uh, but a couple of things have to change. You're not going to have that side now. That side has come apart a little bit from the successful side, the same personnel that have been there and done it quite well over a long period of time so who's next what's next mm. yeah I mean I, I know uh, I think the player you're, you're referring to is Henry Nichols. I think he's since his last uh, decent dig he's averaging about 13 uh, in test matches for New Zealand he is, hasn't gone particularly well didn't go well on that tour of the subcontinent um, I guess at what point do you pull the trigger 
I don't think there'll be too many batters that would survive averaging 15 or under for a period of a year or a time or more. Whether there's people kicking down the door or not, you've got a Will Young, you've got a Glenn Phillips, you've, there are others you need to find out more about whether you're going to doing it against England or you're going to leave it for that series and then try the next one. Well, we're, the next series, for example, we're going to be missing IPL players. So you're going to be doing it anyway by default if they're good enough and they're doing more than the incumbent, they should be playing. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess, you know, I've I talked to a couple of people, talked to Garth Galloway the other day and, and, and suggested, you know, if they do give Henry Nichols, uh, if they hold on to Henry Nichols and then give him a final stab against uh, what is a, a rebuilding and inexperienced Sri Lankan side, he'll probably go all right. Uh, and then and then does that give them the confidence to, to, to stick with him? Or, uh, you know, should they be looking at Phillips? Should they be looking at Young? I mean, who would, I know you've worked with Glenn a lot, but, I mean, who would you be looking at putting in that batting lineup for the Basin? I don't think it'll change, but I would have gone one of those two options. You don't survive in international cricket as a batter averaging 15. No, you don't. You don't. Um, and on that, then, what would you do? I mean, Phillips feels like he's he can he can bat anywhere, but he's probably a, a four for four. But a Will Young, do you do you get him to open with Latham and drop Conway to four? What would you do there? See, I think you're betting Will out of position there. I mean, he got picked and opened, but he isn't really an opener. He's batted 3-4 most of his career. Um, And Devon has gone exceptionally well, wherever you've put him. Uh, It's it's just finding the best place where you can give guys an extended opportunity coming in. And you've got to find out more about Will Young. You've got to find more out about Glenn Phillips. That's two for a start. Yep, those are two for a start. Now, you mentioned Ben Lister. We've, we've kind of talked about him. He got selected for the white ball stuff uh, in the subcontinent. Didn't get that much of a look. Um, but you've worked with him. Are you, you know, when I mean, we look at that Sri Lankan series that you mentioned, uh, left arm. You would have. Left armour, right? You've got to, you've got to have a, a left armour as a point of difference in your attack. You can't play four right arm seamers. You can't play guys that angle into the bat. You've got to have a different aspect around the balance of your attack. So you'd look at him, you'd possibly look at Duffy. I think the thing that would concern them is the pace. But if you swing it and get it into the right areas, you're a chance. You are a chance. You are a chance. So the other one that you mentioned was Michael Bracewell. Uh, we do seem reluctant to play spinners in test matches in New Zealand. Uh, it tends to be somebody who's not an out-and-out spinner, but more of a an all-rounder. Um, you know, So we've had... Mitch Santner do that job before, and now we've got Michael Brace will do that before. Um, Ish has been released from the squad. Ajaz didn't even get called up. Uh, do, yeah. Are New Zealand conditions really that unfriendly to a spinner? Because, I mean, Baz knows these conditions pretty well, and Jack Leach has played uh, play, played the first test. He'll play the second. Yep. Um, I would think you still try and pick your best spinner over there. I know it doesn't turn that much, but he is certainly with a left-arm spinner, taking the ball away from the vast majority of your right-handed batters. You can hopefully close an end. That's obviously what we tried to do with, with, with Satnam, and he's accurate in that and did that and then went away from it. Um, Braces is still learning, but he bats, so that's the difficulty. I mean, we got it wrong a year ago at Bay Oval where Ajaz is just taking 10, and he wasn't even in the side. We played four of the first 10 first-class games at Bay Oval, and unless it was green and swung, it got flat pretty damn quick. 
Yeah, which would suggest that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to say you, you. So you play a spinner, but that would suggest that they're not taught, taking local conditions into account, or they just. I, I don't. I don't know. What do you What do you see as the reasoning for that? Well, it's, it's it's hedging, and you 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 want your batting to continue by having whoever is your spin bowling option because our wickets don't turn. They they don't deteriorate, and they don't go that much. Um, but I still think you pick your best possible spinner. Yeah, agree, agree, Mark. Uh, so, uh, you you said red ball versus pink. You know, the basin's not the day night test. Uh, what do you think will happen? Will it be any different? You would think so, but England aren't going to alter their approach. They are going to keep going uh, and go exceptionally hard, no matter who we pick and who's gone. The difference is the basin. We know it gets flat there, so I would think it might be a little bit green and. Um, underdone on day one to advance the game. The other thing about the basin is wind. Unless you've actually played there, it is a pretty tricky place to bowl. England, with the experience they have, I don't know whether they'll keep going with Broad and Anderson, have all of a sudden got quite a good balance to their attack and Archer isn't even around. Uh, Mark Wood isn't playing. They've got a lot of bases covered. Um, Probably ahead of us at this point. But home conditions, you know the wind, you know it flattens out. I would think whoever wins that will bowl and you've got to make some pretty big inroads in that. I still think the way that we bowl, we can do it with a better defensive screen field setting for them because they're still going to try and hit boundaries. Yeah, they're certainly going to be aggressive. Um, I mean, given how green we think the basin will be, do you, you know, uh, guys that are banging into the pitch of the Tickners uh, and the and the Cougar lines, the, the answer, I, I do see, I think I mentioned it before, that Jacob Duffy's been released from the squad. I would have said you still want that fuller length and the ball to swing. If you bang it in, that length is actually allowing guys to hit you off the back foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it's, uh, it's some head scratches, uh, a little Mark. Bit different. Obviously, you've got one change because you've got Matt Henry coming back in. Um, so that'll be him and Saudi, and it's just a question of who your third, let alone fourth seamer is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, if you're going to make a change, I mean, I, it's it's either going to be uh, Cougar Line, Tickner or Wagner, right? It's going to be one of those three. And I, I as you said, it's a pretty young uh, attack without Wags in there as well. So you'd probably think they'll stick with that experience. <laughs> um, I think you'd have to look very carefully at how they've approached who bowled to them at the mount and whether that's going to change in, in Wellington. I don't, I don't think it will. Yeah, it's... Mate, I mean, do you get... I mean, I was frustrated watching that and I was frustrated when I saw the team that they picked. Um, and I'm sure you you were the same as a, as a fan there. Um, why do you think they are picking a team like they are picking because a lot of those decisions for me didn't make a lot of sense. Well, circumstance didn't help you. you I, mean, I think they would have still had, obviously, Matt Henry playing, but then he wasn't in and around. But it is it is a change. The, the Trent Bolt hole is too big that at the moment no one can fill. Mm. Left armour, world-class swing bowler, operates exceptionally well with Saudi, probably our best pairing ever. You just can't replace that overnight. And you've then lost the replacement guy that normally takes it if either Saudi or Bolt aren't playing or injured. Henry, so he's not playing as well. Um, 
it is a rebuilding period. Uh, and the step up for guys making their debut from first-class cricket to international cricket against a current England team, the way they're playing, is exceptionally hard. Well, I mean, the thing is, I guess, the, the, the one bonus is that we're at home, right? So, uh, once again, go back to that question at the top. What is our depth like at Plunkett Shield Cricket? How, how many guys have we got coming through do you think could step up? Just, again, a big gap, which is where your A tours are absolutely crucial because that's your bridge between probably first class and international. Um, and that's what India have done very well. England as well have done that exceptionally well. The difficulty is we haven't been playing any cricket or certainly any red ball cricket before this. Yep, coming pretty cold, mate. Coming pretty cold. It is an exercise in frustration at the moment, Mark. I appreciate your time, mate. I appreciate your time and uh, some of those questions I know that... Not too many solutions. No, not too many solutions. Some of those questions maybe uh, didn't have too many answers, but I appreciate your time, mate. And uh, yeah, I, I, I look forward to the basin, uh, but I don't have a lot of hope that we're going to see a New Zealand W. Well, we'd have to go better than we did at the Mount, and I think we got nailed by new ball under twilight. The, the, the difference in that, you just because we played one with Auckland. We, we played a first-class game, a pink ball under lights, because you had to play one before you could have a test match at that venue. You had to have a first-class game. And the difference between batting it in the day and then batting at night was enormous. Guys really struggled, both teams. Yeah, it's interesting, that, isn't it? That was the game before where Bolt and Southey bowled out England because it swung and we caught everything. Uh, if only if only we had uh, thought about this previously and cloned Trent Bolt about 20 years ago so his replacement was ready to go. Well, it's an interesting one and it's coming in the next couple of years for New Zealand because guys are going to make decisions about how much they're going to play, where they're going to play, and what other options. So uh, we've already found one of the holes. Um, it's it's not going to get any easier. No, it will not, mate. I'll tell you what, it's going to be interesting to see what the makeup of that team for the Sri Lankan test is. That's for sure. Uh, maybe we'll get some of our wishes granted then and see some of these players get an opportunity, mate. Hey, thanks very much for coming on, Mark. I really appreciate it. Go well. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. It is uh, 26 away from nine here on SENZ. When we come back, we're going to talk football ferns with Alana Gunn. This is Extra Time on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Joining us now to talk football ferns is Alana Gunn. G'day, Alana. How are you? G'day, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. I, I mean, I would be better if I uh, <laughs> if we were getting a tune out of our football ferns, um, but things haven't been going great, have they? I mean, I think it's, what, seven games now without a goal. Um, I know we haven't necessarily always had our uh, our top players available, and again, this time round, it's disappointing. No Annalite, no uh, Vic Essen, who I think uh, probably have superseded Aaron Naylor now as, uh, as our top goalkeepers. Uh, but while I'd accept big losses to the USA... Uh, with a weakened team who are the double world champions um, and number one in the world. Losing 5-0 to Portugal is pretty unacceptable uh, and then backing that up with a 2-0 uh, loss against Argentina doesn't look that much better. Where, where are you on this Ferns team? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, I, I think the, this tour hasn't been, I guess, how 
how I imagined the the Ferns would be going, and um, I was yeah I was really hopeful uh, for the those two games, and I still am hopeful for the for the last game against Argentina again. But yeah, disappointing. I think the result kind of itself, you know, lets you know that the performance wasn't there, and and potentially a, a rookie era with the with the formation change in that first game. And um, yeah, it is disappointing, and we're, we're running out of time so <laughs> before the World Cup. So yeah, the pressure is on. Yeah, the pressure is on. I mean, I thought that, you know, when Yitka first took over from Tom Samani, uh, she had the football ferns playing a more attacking brand of football. We were, I think we actually went to the States and played the US and, you know, we gave them a few issues for the first, in that first game for about the first 20, 30 minutes or so and and created a few chances. Uh, we beat some teams. We had got some reasonably good results, uh, but seemed to have gone backwards. Can you put your finger on why that might be? Yeah, I think what Yitka did when she came in um, really well is she she created a little bit more depth than we've kind of had in the past. And you know, due to the COVID restrictions and whatnot, she she looked around a bit further. And you know, we've seen some players that we potentially were off the radar kind of brought back in for for whether it just be training squad or or actually making the pitch, which I think set a really good precedent and started to create a bit of bit of pressure. But I think the reality is we don't have players playing in good enough leagues um, around the world. Um, that are in the current squad. I think the A-League doesn't cut it. Um, I think you can use the game against Portugal as an example. We see CJ Bott come back into the side, and for me, she was miles ahead of anyone else that was in the Ferns, um, and she's playing in one of the better leagues in the world. Where, yeah, so I just don't think we have that. I, I think we're lacking um, players that are playing consistently, starting consistently for good teams and playing against good teams. And the the only way they're going to get better is by by performing right on the on the on the biggest stages, uh, whether that be at club football or or international football. Um, Yitka tried something different as well. We've generally played a four three three or some version therein of, uh, but she went to three at the back. Uh, this close to the tournament, trying that. Uh, I don't know if you quite say is it is it a hail mary, but it certainly seems an unusual time to try it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think on reflection they might be regretting that one. I think you know how they portrayed that this tournament was going to be replicating a World Cup. I, you know, I, I don't I don't see her playing a new formation in the first game of a World Cup with with very minimal preparation time. So I think yeah, the result in the performance, uh, I mean, it, it answers it. Yeah, I think it was a big mistake, um, and I think. I can somewhat understand why she tried it, um, maybe utilising our better players in better positions um, to help that attack and help us getting to, into the attacking third. But, yeah, I think it backfired. Um, yeah, I don't think we were... We, yeah, we're not good enough um, to be playing... to be Yeah, to be getting thrown a new new formation with, with very minimal preparation time. Now, we did uh, play Argentina and, 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 as I mentioned, lost 2-0 in that game. Um, they had a goal, They did have a goal disallowed, um, but it wasn't a win, and they still, you know, conceded two goals. Um, how much better do you think it was, and uh, do you do you think we will see improvement again on Thursday night? Yeah, I think um, I think we will see improvement again on Thursday night. Um, I mean, I think it was a better performance in terms of they were playing a formation that they were potentially more comfortable with, um, but they were playing a lesser opposition. So keeping it real, you know, they still aren't performing, I think, where they need to be this far out from the World Cup. Um, I still think they are well off. You know, they're still four or five players off their strongest 11, but unfortunately we haven't been able to see the strongest 11, and I don't think we can rely on 
just hoping for the best that that, that first 11 makes it to the World Cup. So I think you you do have to assess them on what, what players they're getting put out there. And for me, yeah, we lacked, we lacked, um, we missed CJ and we missed Ali in the fullback roles. Um, I think they're such a, um, they help getting into that attacking third. Um, and we didn't create a lot. We, you know, we had one goal disallowed and Liv Chance maybe had an opportunity in the first half um, that she potentially puts away on another day. Um, but we're still not creating enough goal-scoring opportunities um, to, to win games at World Cups. Um, yeah, so I think there was a few good performances. I thought Grace Jarley put her hand up really well. And I think, she, you know, she gets a really good opportunity to potentially start at a World Cup with those performances. But, yeah, apart from that, I think players are actually you know, removing themselves from the squad rather than putting themselves in it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do we... Uh, I mean, a player I think we've, we have missed, um, and I thought she might be in this squad, actually, but wasn't when it was named as Rhea Percival, who's been recovering from that uh, knee injury, and, you know, she, before she got that, was going great guns both for the Ferns and for Tottenham. Do you know how far away she is? You, re, you expect her to be in the World Cup squad? Yeah, I'm expecting her to be in the World Cup squad. I know her ACL hasn't been, uh, rehab hasn't been smooth, um, but she's, you know, only following from social media through Tottenham. You know, she is back on the pitch and running and, and things like that. So there is time for her to, I guess, get some, some genuine minutes. We don't want her coming into the World Cup, you know, not having games under her belt. The same with Rebecca Stott. You know, they're both playing in, they're both in good clubs and playing in good, a good league. So I think that's really important and key over the next 20 weeks that those two are getting, are getting on the pitch, one, getting through the injury rehab and um, coming into the World Cup with, you know, a good half a dozen games under their belt. And I think that'll make a real shift within the first 11 of that, of the Ferns. Uh, now, a player that's been around the, the team for a long, long time is Ali Riley. You mentioned her. Um, she has, uh, well, she, I mean, she's, I think, 36 now. Um, do you think she's still got the pace to play that uh, that, that fullback role, um, the way that it needs to be played in modern football? Or is she someone like Rhea Percival, who used to be a fullback or was played at fullback a lot, got moved into a defensive midfield role, could look at moving inside? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I think at the moment she's holding that, that spot down uh, when she's fit. Um, yes, I mean, some people would say it's time for her to move on, but I, I disagree. I think she's she's proven in and out. She plays in a, you know, she plays for the Angels, LA Angels, and she's a regular starter for them and performs really well for them. Um, for her, you know, she is getting on, so it is about her keeping her body in shape that she can perform. But, yeah, I think she holds that role. I think she is quick enough um, in comparison to what we would have to replace her. Um, so, for me, yeah, she is, she's definitely a starter in that back line, for sure. Uh, and then on the goalkeeping front, I mentioned it earlier, Erin um, Naylor, you know, has been our number one for so long, but we do have, you know, some other options there. Anna Leet was supposed to be in this team. She's playing at Villa and she's having a very good season at Villa. Um, saved four penalties against Manchester United women's team in the in the Women's FA Cup uh, to win that, that penalty shootout. Vic Essen also obviously playing at Rangers in Scotland as well. And and Lily, I know Lily Alfeld, uh, she, she's had some opportunities, but she's been in injured for a lot of this season. Um, how do you look at that goalkeeping conundrum if you're Yitka? Yeah, it's a tough one and it's it's nice. It's a probably one of Yitka's better problems to have. Um, Vic's been in some fantastic form, unfortunately ruled out of this tour with an injury and obviously didn't come over to the um, for the American games because she was playing. So provided, you know, a great opportunity for Erin 
um, to get genuine minutes. And I thought she played well um, in the last game against Argentina. Um, I don't think we've seen that Erin for a wee while. I think she's getting more consistent game time now and is, you know, starting to find some form. Um, and elite, you know, what a what an amazing girl she is. And I think she potentially has the highest highest bar out of all the goalkeepers. Um, unfortunately, she suffered a, an injury that, that, that might see her not make the World Cup squad um, with an injury to her back. So, yeah, I think it will come down to, to Vic and um, Erin. And I think someday anyone can probably outplay either of them. So... Yeah, that, that'll be a tough decision. Um, I, th- I think I think Vic gets the start for the next tour, for the next FIFA window, and uh, she'll assist from there, I would, I would say. All right, Lana, we've got uh, one game left of this tour that has obviously, as New Zealand fans, got us concerned, uh, given it's, you know, uh, we've got a World Cup not too far away. We want our football fans to perform well at it. Uh, what are your expectations of this game, and what do you want to see the Ferns do out there Um Either obviously other than just score and win, which would be nice. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. I think, I think playing out from the back less. I think if we're not playing our our strongest back line with our strongest goalkeeper, you know, I, I think we can't afford to go longer more. Um, I mean, it might not be as pretty, but I think the reality is we get, we've got too many unforced errors and we're trying to play out from the back too much. So let's get the, the ball up the other end of the pitch, um, a bit more direct. Um, and use the likes of a Wilkie and that to be able to hold up the ball and you know maybe get support around her a bit a bit better so we can spend more time in the attacking third and then you know hopefully those opportunities to score and and potentially win will come. I think it's uh, it's massive because I don't think they're home for the next FIFA window so this is the last opportunity to get some buy-in from the public and the bigger picture is you know we've got a home home World Cup and this could be the f- future of women's football if, if, if these girls can't inspire the next generation. I don't think much more will. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a great point, uh, Alana. All right, hey, listen, thanks very much for giving us some time tonight, mate. I really appreciate uh, you coming on and talking about uh, what is a bit of a sensitive subject in New Zealand football at the moment. Uh, but I think yeah, you've done it. Uh, you've done it well, and you've given us some uh, some food for thought. So, uh, outside of Wayne Smith uh, being available, I'm not sure what we do. But uh, here's hoping we can get a result against Argentina. <laughs> eh? Just keep the faith. Keep, keep the faith. faith. <laughs> All right. Now you sound like a Warriors fan. Now you're really worrying me. Uh, good stuff. A bit. Uh, good stuff. Alana Gunn with us. Thank you very much for your time. It is 10 away from 9. You're on SENZ. It is Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through 11 o'clock tonight. After 9 o'clock, uh, we're going to do a little bit of That's My Team and talk some NRL and get a couple of guys uh, to look at their clubs for the 2023 season, talk about their clubs and and see just how they think their clubs are going to go. One of those clubs is our very own Warriors. The other is the Melbourne Storm. Now, I have also heard... I had a text through from Michael in Wellington. We were talking earlier with Mark O'Donnell, the former Auckland coach, about the test in Wellington against England, the second test that starts on Friday. And he said to me, he sent us a text saying, uh, the forecast doesn't look good. Now, it is heavy heavy rain on Wednesday night and Thursday morning, uh, then more rain Thursday night, and then the forecast is for heavy rain Friday and Saturday, uh, and then showers Sunday, Monday. So I don't know how much cricket we'll get uh, from that second test at um, the Basin Reserve, uh, which is a pity, which is a real pity, because I was hoping to see uh, the Black Caps potentially bounce back, see Matt Henry get an opportunity, uh, and see you know maybe if Gary Stead does make a call and pull the trigger on Henry Nichols, who has really uh, yeah, been poor 
uh, in the last year or so with the bat for the Black Caps at that level. After 9 o'clock, NRL. If you want to talk your club, let us know. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 We are going to be talking Warriors and Melbourne Storm between now and 10. It's just gone 9 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Extra Time with Ricardo Paul through to 11 o'clock. And uh, this hour, we're going to be talking a bit of NRL. We are uh, doing That's My Team. We've done it uh, so far with the Cowboys. Sam Revel of the Wobbling Jaw Sports Channel uh, has come on. He said the Cowboys are going to finish top four and win the Prem. Uh, Nick Briley, a uh, Tigers fan out of Sydney, says he thinks that they are on the improve, but doesn't think they've quite got enough to make the eight. He's got them finishing sort of around that 9-10 spot. Uh, we had Nick Tedeschi uh, from Sydney as well, talk Bulldogs. Again, he says uh, they're, they're missing a halfback, uh, and it's a it's a, a process for them. Uh, he's got them finishing just outside of the eight, around ninth. Uh, we had Peter Lang talk the Panthers. He said definitely uh, they're definitely going to be in the top four. So uh, there we go. Those are some of the ones we've had on so far. Right now, though, uh, we head to uh, Japan. Yes, there are Warriors fans in Japan. And uh, this Warriors fan is a big Warriors fan. He is a Warrior-holic, you might call uh, you might call him. And he is part of the Warriors Anonymous uh, Facebook page as well. Zane Matsumoto. G'day, Zane. How you doing? Good, my man. Good, my man. Matsumoto's not actually the real real name. That's the uh, Facebook name. The wife's maiden name there, mate. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely a Zane and I am a Warrior-holic. You are a warrior-holic, mate. Uh, you you definitely are. So let's talk Warriors, mate, because uh, we've seen a couple of games now in pre-season and we know they've got the Knights coming up first game of the season. Uh, based on what you've seen so far, how confident are you for game one? Well, until we saw the game on the weekend, I was pretty bloody confident, um, to be honest. But that said, I watched the first um 10 minutes of the Knights game, I thought, geez, we're going to be in for a battle here because they came out with a hissing rule, but ended up falling away as well. So both teams looked pretty rugged when they had their close to first um, first choice lineups on the weekend. So a bit of a lottery, but the the Warriors fan of me says the, the Wellington home advantage will get us home probably just. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, let, let's look at some of the players that we have uh, lost from last season. You and Aiken. Gone to the Dolphins. Uh, big loss from second row was centre. Dejan Arce uh, has gone to the Eels. Uh, Jackson Frey's been released. Elisa Cartoa came back to bite us in that game against uh, Melbourne, of course. Uh, Jack Murchie's gone to the Eels, where it looks like he's going to start. Burn D- Murdoch uh, Messiah has gone to the Dragons, where he's going to pick up a wooden spoon probably this season. Uh, Cody Nicarima has gone to the Dragons. Aaron Penne's gone to the Storm as well. Um, and Reese Walsh has uh, famously gone to the Brisbane Broncos. Um, out of those players, who upsets you the most to have lost? Dijon Arsley, without without doubt. All the rest of those guys, mate, we've we've either upgraded or we're definitely no worse off without them, to be honest. Maybe you know, um Ben Murdoch Masilla from a cultural perspective, apparently he's a really good guy around around the, the um team, but he hasn't really delivered on the field. But for me, Dijon Arcee, um, X Factor and by far the the best kicking option we've had out of last year and this year. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that I guess you look at from a Warriors point of view is who's going to fill those centre spots. It's probably still the weak point of the team, is it? Yeah, well, we didn't have um, Aiken. I think they built him up to be a second row and got him to a physique that when they stuck him at centre towards the end of last season, he wasn't really capable of delivering anymore. 
Um, it's a clear, like I wrote down two, two positions for me that we're really short of that are a worry and one's halfback and the other's centre. So, yeah, we haven't managed to fill that centre spot for me. All right, well, let's look at the gains. We've got Mitch Barnett has come in. Uh, it looks like he's going to play more prop than second row. Uh, Jackson Ford as well, who's made a, a, a real splash, I think. Uh, we've also got Tamari Martin come in, Luke Metcalf, Chance Nickel Clockstead, Marata Kore as well has come in, and Dylan Walker. Um, I don't think I've missed anybody there. Um, I mean... Do you think that the, uh, the, the the squad overall is stronger or weaker than it was last year? Um, I'm going to look at it from two perspectives. I, I would say from actually wanting to be here, wanting to deliver for the Warriors, we're out of doubt. Um, it's a stronger team. We had so many guys who were kind of drifters and making the most of the Warriors being in Australia there for a, for a while, which we saw, you know, once they knew we were coming back to New Zealand, we, we lost them. Um, I would say what we've gained is experienced hardened professionals for the most part other than Metcalf um, and he's pure X factor so I feel like we've definitely gained on what we had for probably the last two or three seasons so from that perspective I think it's a it's a win it's a win all right um now you mentioned you thought that halfback was a place that we were uh, the Warriors were going to be lacking a little bit uh, but I look at halfback and think, well, you've got Metcalf there, right? Uh, you've also, of course, got Sean Johnson. Uh, Tamani Martin can play seven or six, uh, I, I believe. Um, and uh, there's the other kid that we got across uh, last Volkman. year from, yeah, Voltman as well. We're on Voltman. So, what makes you think we're 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 light at halfback? So, Voltman's nah, the only genuine seven. Like he's actually a he. He came up the system in um, Sydney as a seven. So I think long-term he's an option, but you, you'll probably find that it's going to take him two or three years to get to the point where he can actually play there. We're trying to manufacture um, Johnson into a, into a seven, but I don't really think it's in him. Uh, Metcalf's a six come fullback, so he's the, uh, he's your X-factor running guy. They actually played him, according to Tamati Martin, at um, seven, even though he had the six jumper on the other day. I don't hate him as a as a seven, but neither him or um, Tamati Martin have a recognised kicking game. So if you if your six is going to be your creative X factor player, you you're going to have to have a halfback in there who can really run the team around. But they've got to have that kicking game. Um, none of these guys have got a recognised kicking game. The only guy in the team who has is playing at nine. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, and, and Wade Egan because I mean that that is a position I've always thought the Warriors needed to strengthen. I I mean I don't I uh, oh. I, I think Wade Egan's a good player, but you can't uh, you got to have a bit of depth behind him, and I and I don't see that we've got a heap of depth there, have we? No, well, see, I mean he's a I think he's really improved, and I could see him going to someone like um, the Panthers and taking them to a grand final because he's got the you know, Cleary out there who runs the game and controls the flow. He just wants the guys giving them giving him good, good quality ball, which he can, can do. But because we're kind of lacking in X Factor, we're lacking in that game controlling seven, I think we need a lot more from him controlling the flow of the game. Like I, was, I heard some commentary about him in the weekend saying that he actually had one of the best kicking games in there. I think it was SG Ball in New South Wales Cup when he used to play 5-8 for Panthers. Um, so maybe he needs to kick a little bit more out of um, dummy half there to, when we're you know we're not getting enough distance when we're kicking from our halves. But I agree, um, he's not my first choice, and I don't think Lusick's looking like he's going to be the guy in the next year. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, oh, it's interesting because I know uh, you know Andrew Webster has obviously come from Penrith, and and as you as you rightly mentioned, um, so had Wade Egan a couple of years ago, and I remember when he was brought over from Penrith, and I'm trying to remember who was that said it, but it was somebody, it may have even been Ivan Cleary uh, that said that Wade Egan for him was a young Cameron Smith in terms of his style of play, which got a lot of people excited. Do you, do you think we're starting to see that? Well, Webster said in an interview the other day um, uh, with the, uh, what were those guys' names, Ruin, the other guy, um, that he thinks he's a top four hooker in the game, which, you know, I've got to trust that there are a lot of pundits out there who know a lot more about the game, do rate him. And I'll, I'll reiterate, if you put him in the right structure, I'm sure he would be, he would stand out as a top four hooker, but it's just we need a little bit more of that, you know, to really grab, you look at Cameron Smith, for me, it was his ability to kind of just really turn a game on its head, influence the speed of the ruck, influence the referees, which we're not really getting from Egan quite yet. He's improving, but, you know, if you gave me a choice of my top three choices for, for Warriors hooker, he wouldn't be it if I had an open checkbook and could sign anyone. Yeah, all right. Okay, well, uh, let's have a look at then your um, your Warriors thirteen. If you if you if you're selecting the Warriors uh, for game one against Newcastle, what's that thirteen look like? Yeah, walk us through it. Okay, um, I did like Barnett at prop, um, particularly on defense. His um, his aggression and his line speed there really brought something we haven't seen for a while. So I'm going with that front three we had in the weekend. Lake Barnett and Egan. Second. I'm probably going forward, but I thought Ford and Corbett um, actually showed a lot. I thought the um, the attacking ability of Ford was really something. Um, oh, just you're just breaking up a bit. You're just breaking up a bit there, Zane. I don't know if you've wandered away from your router or what the story is, but you're just breaking up a bit. So, uh, do, do you want to have another crack at that? I'm going for Ford. Um, I really like him. He offered a lot on attack. Um, All-rounded player. He kind of surprised me. Uh, and near quarter. Yep. And of course, you've got to have Tohu there. So that's your, that's your pack. All right. Then uh, then and then who's the halves combination? Uh, do we do we have like uh, like injury not being an issue? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who's who's available, mate? Who's available? Well, it's only it comes down to Volkman, Tamari Martin, and SJ. So, um, in that case, you, Volkman, I think, is another year or two away from me. So, you're going to have to go for SJ and Tamari Martin there. Okay. Our centres. Who, who's playing in the centres against Newcastle? Oh, mate. Well, I mean, Vaila's definitely got to be there. Um, uh, I think he wouldn't be my first choice, but I'm going to give Williami the nudge just because the fact the continuity, give him a chance to settle in there with his, um, you know, he's played a couple of games now there with Ford, I think was on his side. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to run with him. Okay, Viliami and Vilea as the uh, the centres. Uh, on the wings, I'm picking Montoya is going to be one. Oh, Montoya, he's, he's probably my first pick warrior at the moment, Can you know, on the back of last year and this year's effort. Um, the wings, another area of contention for me, like a lot of guys won't like this. Um, we saw a great try from Dallin Watani-Zelezniak in the weekend. He has a he puts in a lot of effort, but I just feel like he's a bit small on those carries off our line. He might hit the line hard, but very rarely 
makes too much of an impression. But then you've got Cossie who's got the size but not the hand. So DWZ's getting a nod. All right then, and that may, that leaves the number one jersey. Chance, mate, how good was he on the weekend, mm. mate? That that guy is a definite upgrade for me for what the Warriors need right now from Walsh. Yep. I'm having him every time. Perfect. All right. Like it. I like it. So there's our there's our 13. And of course, we're wearing the number 14 jersey is going to be Dylan Walker. All right. Uh, what about uh, one bloke at the club that you could chuck in the back seat of your car and drive to another club tomorrow? Who would it be? <laughs> um, I'm, uh, look, my persona this year is meant to be positive, balanced, and. <laughs> Um, you know, but I've, I've got to say, SJ, mate, I'm sorry. You know, 13 years in the first half, seven of them came from him. Um, I, I was, mate, I gave him every opportunity to come out on the weekend and just blow my mind and say, look, I'm having a career season. And he did the complete opposite. So, yep. <laughs> Sean Johnson it is. Sean Johnson it is. All right. Uh, so that's answered that question. Here's another question for you. If you could... Take any player from the Warriors' past and parachute them into this thirteen. Who would you take? Who's who's still playing the game? No, no. Or any any time since ninety five. Oh man, it'd have to be Stacey, without a doubt. Too easy, too easy. He's answered that question, yeah. all right. And then Zane, I guess that leaves this question: uh, one to seventeen. Where are the Warriors finishing on the ladder this year? Oh shit! Um, it's. I still, I still like after seeing the SG ball game, seeing the the way the the guys played in the first trial. I trust that the effort and the fitness is there. Comes down to execution and just injuries and how all things fall together. Could be anywhere from eight to sixteen for me, but I'll mate, I'm going to say eight. It's going eighth. Okay, I'll show a little bit of faith. Yeah, he's definitely showing faith. All right, eighth place for the Warriors. Zane, thank you very much for your time coming on and uh, and taking part in uh, that's my team, mate. Are you uh, any, anything you want to add? Um, I just yeah, I'm I'm just going to reflect quickly on that game against Melbourne. That if you took four players out of their team and Nelson, Asafa Solomona, Harry Grant. Um, Hughes and Munster, actually any of those three, you take those three guys out of any out of that team and put them anywhere in the NRL, in one club, including the Warriors, all of a sudden they're top four potential. Those guys have there's so much influence and experience from those sort of the Spine and, and Nelson as a prop. It just shows you what the difference is going to be between the top four and the rest of the guys in this season. It's such a lottery below that, so that's why I have a little bit of faith. I think there are only probably three or four teams max who have that, you know, four or four every week. So that's why I'm faithful we're going to get to eight. Yeah, good stuff, Zane. All right, hey, listen, mate, thanks again for your time. Enjoy your season. Uh, we're for only about 10 days away from it all kicking off. I can't wait. Hey, well, one last point, mate. Hey, anyone who can get there to Wellington, please come to the game, mate. I, I'm, You know, Wellington's terrible for people turning up to games, but this is the first proper season we're kicking off in New Zealand in three years. Let's make it a big one for the boys at the Cape Town on the third. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan, Zane. Go well and uh, enjoy right, that opening game, right. mate. Uh, thanks very much for your time. It is 17 past nine here on SENZ uh, Extra Time. Your thoughts on that from Zane. The Warriors, where do they finish for you this season? And what's your 13 looking like? 0800 150811 0800 150811 or 8833
It is 9.21 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock after uh, 10. Dan O'Hagan, our broadcaster, commentator out of the UK, is going to join us to preview the Champions League games coming up tomorrow morning. And uh, Liverpool in action against Real Madrid is one of those. We have just been talking uh, the Warriors for the NRL season with Zane uh, from Warriors Anonymous and uh, Z- uh, Warrior Holic. And uh, he gave us his thoughts. He gave this is 13, uh, starting 13 for the team for the game against Newcastle. Can you get your thoughts on that? 0800 150 811 or double eight double three. And I mean, Ben, I know you're a massive Warriors fan. Uh, you're you're a Warriors tragic. Um, what did you make of what Zane had to say about particularly whether or not the Warriors are in a better place this season than last? I, th- I have to agree with him in terms of the players they've brought in because they've brought in a lot of experience, which I think has been very key. They've had to rely on lots of young players and kind of bringing guys in. You look at some of the guys they brought in, like uh, Jack Murchie, for example. I believe he actually joined the club, uh, the war, they had the two seasons in 2020. COVID seems like such a long ago, but they brought him in between that period where the season stopped and it came back. And then, of course, he's left at the end of the year. So they had, they've had lots of guys in amongst the club who actually never were in New Zealand, essentially. Uh, and I, I like who they've brought in. The one thing which I found interesting by what Zane said, because you asked him about his round one side, and he said, is everyone available or whatever, and you said about who's available. Because I feel like that had you said everyone, and I get the feeling most people would say this and I'm saying this but smugly because I've something I've said since he signed with the club but I think the Warriors have to somehow incorporate Luke Metcalf into that 17 mm. he he I know he was playing an understrength Tigers side but he was very good you'll remember when we sorry when the Warriors signed Luke Metcalf we got Lewis Brown on the program and we ended up talking about Lewis Brown's clothing brand as opposed to Luke Metcalf for the, most of the show. <laughs> but in the few minutes we actually did talk about Luke Metcalf, he was very positive. I know Sean Johnson rates Luke Metcalf as well. Uh, I think he only played a couple of NRL games last year, but just based on what I've seen and what I know, I want him in my 17. It's just the fact where you fit him in because he can play in the halves or he can play at fullback. So if you're going to be doing that, if you're going to be putting him at fullback, that means you're taking Chancey Klugstad out of fullback where he was brought into play, and he was actually probably one of the few bright he played. I'd be played all right at fullback against Storm. So then you think about the halves, and then you're thinking, okay, probably it would be it would be Tamati Martin. Let's face it, the Warriors aren't dropping Sean Johnson. You don't think they will, even with Andrew Webster coming in and sort of no, I no, I, I Matt, look. They've got if they've got the reserve grade side back. Look, there's every possibility they could. I just don't see it happening. How it's not very often you see a guy with uh, who I would say I don't. I'm not putting Sean Johnson in that superstar category, but it's not often you see a guy of his profile, let's say, play in reserve grade. He might get dropped, but I would say if. Luke Metcalf is to play, it would be more likely that Tamati Martin would be the sacrifice, but then you feel like, well, Tamati Martin would be kind of important to play as well, but then he can only really play at fullback or in the halves. He has played lock at some stages in his career as well, but I don't think at NRL level. Otherwise, 
Yeah, I I have to agree with lots of what Zane said. You know, look at the pack that the Warriors had against the Storm. I think that probably would be the pack. And I think the one surprise there would be a Jackson Ford who kind of came in as a bit of an unknown product. But he's one player who's probably really stood up. Uh, He's played the both games. And I think when you hear some of Andrew Webster's post-game comments, I think he's one of the players who he's referring to and saying that this has actually made his selection choices a lot harder. Mm, all right. Uh, what about uh, then? And this is something I didn't actually ask Zane about. But one of the things I keep waiting, waiting for the Warriors to do, I've been keep, I've been waiting for the Warriors to do it since they let Matt Lodge go, and that is bring in a big prop, and they haven't done it. They, they keep signing second rowers. I keep you keep hearing, oh, the Warriors have signed a Ford. You think great, they've signed a prop. No, oh, we'll let another one go, but then we'll just keep signing second rowers because I mean, Mitch Barnett's not a prop. I mean, he's a big guy; he can play prop, but he's not a prop. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really interesting one, and I, it's going to be interesting to see the. Of course, Andrew Webster wouldn't have shown his full hand. No, uh, in those trial games, he, uh, Andrew Webster also was missing a couple of players. You assume a guy like a Jazz Tavanga will be somehow incorporated into the seventeen when he's fit. So, but then you think, yeah, you you are lacking that props, but. We had Justin Morgan on the Saturday session, and one of the things he spoke about was the impact of Dylan Walker and the role that he's going to be playing. And he said to really keep an eye out for when him and Tohu Harris are on the field in the middle of the park together Okay. in terms of how they are going to be passing the ball amongst uh, across the field and the kind of the speed of the play and the ruck. So maybe this is just a part of the way Andrew Webster wants to play. So I'm only assuming here. We don't know because, as I say, preseason you're not going to show your full hand, and it's going to it's going to be something that goes into the season. The other thing I would also add to that, though, is Ricardo. It's the NRL. Yeah. Some some player is probably going to become available, and the Warriors are going to be like, "Oh, we've got a bit of money here. Here you go." Well, that's that's potential. That's potential. At the moment, you know, I mean, Zane mentioned Nelson Asafa Solomona, and we've only got one player that can bend the line, and that's Arden Fanua Blake. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah. We. I mean, like the fact that Jazz Tavanga is starting the season as a propping option to me is alarming. If I'm a Warriors fan. Oh, it is. But it, it's it's very interesting just the way the game's gone. Because I remember ten years ago, it was all about having the big props, and then it was about a bit of a smaller game. And it seems like the Warriors have always kind of been behind the eight ball in terms of how the way that's going. But well, I wouldn't rule out the Warriors potentially bringing someone in mid-season, but. I, I think we need to kind of see how this game plan is going to go uh, during the season. A bit disappointing, it kind of didn't click in that in that preseason game. But hey, uh, it's all, it's all good to throw as an excuse out for other teams. Oh, it's just our first game of the year. Yeah, so. well, yeah, that excuses get thrown around a lot. So there you go, especially with one national team of our country. Yes, that's <laughs> true. That is true. It is nine twenty eight here on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, we're going to head to Melbourne and catch up with a man they call Gobbo. It's 27 away from 10 here on Extra Time on SENZ. Time for another That's My Team. We've done the Warriors this hour. Time to do the Storm. Uh, The man, his mum, and the judge calls Daniel Watson-Hayes, but everybody else calls Gobbo from the Stormcast podcast joins us. Uh, G'day, mate. How are you? Good. Thanks, Ricardo. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Uh, What did you make of that uh, last preseason hit out in Christchurch against the Warriors? Yeah, I thought I thought it was a good hit out for both teams. Obviously, you, you take trials as a grain of salt, uh, a grain of salt, and um, you sort of just want to see the the newbies come through. You want to see some coordination, 
Um, some, some of the big stars blow out a little bit, get, get a few uh, Ks in the legs uh, in, in preparation for round one. But I thought both uh, I thought both uh, the Warriors and the Storm showed some, some really good signs. Obviously, the first half was rather clunky and to be expected that they haven't played a lot of football and they haven't probably touched a lot of football. It's more about getting uh, the conditioning up to speed for what is going to be a very long, arduous year. Um, but no, positive signs for both your Warriors and uh, my Storm. Yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, let's talk about some of the, the players you've lost. Uh, Jesse and Kenny Bromwich have gone to the Dolphins. Uh, so has Felice mm. Calfusi. Uh, the Cheese has gone to the Roosters. Um, those are, are big losses. You know, I mean, that's four of uh, a potential uh, forward pack, right? I mean, uh, uh, how do you think that the club are dealing with that? And, and how do you feel about not having those guys at the club anymore? Yeah, look, I'll premise this by saying that just on the Dolphins, um, I'm not sure if you managed to catch the the game on the weekend against the against the Titans, mm. um, Ricardo. But you know, you've got experts, media commentators coming out and saying, going on about the Storm losing so much experience with, as you've already alluded to, uh, Felice Capuzzi and the Bromwich brothers leaving. That same experience was on show in, in the Dolphins' trial against the Titans. Now, father time remains undefeated. Now, what I mean by that is is that they're a year older and they looked a year older. They looked a year slower. And those signs have been there probably for the last 12 to, to 18 months. I think all Storm fans would, would agree with that. So whilst they've been loyal servants and they've, they've served the, the purple jersey very, very well, um, I think the Storm have done the right thing opting for youth and I think it'll end up proving to be the case as the season unfolds. Um, they've got a younger Christian Welsh, a younger Aaron Penne, who's obviously uh, had a bit of a quick stint over at, uh, at the Warriors. He's come back home. They've got obviously uh, the, the Man Mountain, Nelson of uh, Solomona. They've got young Trent Liero and they've picked up Ellie Katola as well. All who have a lot of energy, enthusiasm and exuberance, uh, which the older, experienced and uh, ageing um, uh, Bromwich Brothers and, and, and Felice Capusi um, that are now at the Dolphins. So I think, I think in, the, in the short term, potentially, but I think as the season goes on, I think we'll start to see that Melbourne made the right decision. Yeah, it's interesting uh, you mentioned that because it does look to me, I was talking to uh, a couple of people the other day about this and, you know, saying the Dolphins for the spoon and a few of them were like, well, you know, it's Wayne Bennett, never write mm. them off and, and people suggesting that maybe the Dragons might be a better bet for the spoon. But, yeah, it does ha- have the feel of it. It's, it's a Queensland country club and uh, they're all up there in semi-retirement. Very much so, very much so. And, and that's, uh, I, I think, any, any new franchise doesn't want to be seen as a transit lounge and that's something that they've got to obviously contend with. Uh, I understand the you know, the method behind the madness, I suppose, of going and signing uh, experienced forwards because it's not so much what the Bromwich brothers and what Felice Cafusi and Mark Nichols, etc., are going to be doing during the week. Uh, I, I mean, on the weekend, it's more about what they're doing Monday to Friday, their, their, their preparation, what they're doing away from the field. And that'll sort of set a culture which will hopefully help the Dolphins uh, in, in, in the near future. But yeah. um, alas, 
That's the Dolphins. Let's talk about the Storm. Yeah, indeed, indeed. You got Harry Grant still there, obviously, but you have lost Brandon Smith. Uh, yeah. I mean, you had two great hookers. Uh, I mean, for me, I think Brandon Smith could be a great lock as well, and he did yeah. get used there a few a few times. So, uh, losing Brandon Smith, what does that mean for your depth? Uh, you know, who have you got coming up behind Harry Grant? Is there some kid out of res- reserve grade that we haven't heard of over here that you you expect to see get a, a few minutes? You would have seen uh, Tyron Wishart come on the field mm. uh, late last week, yep. and he is—he's a bit of a utility. So I, I, I refer to him as more of like a Swiss Army knife. He can fill in at nine. He can fill in at six, seven. He got thrown at fullback last year. I think he even played a game in the wing when one of the players went down. Might have been Xavier Coates. Um, so I'm expecting him to fill the 14 jersey. Um, he's played. Uh, a, a, a little bit of hooker when he was coming through the Illawarra Steelers St George Illawarra system, and one thing with Tyron Wishart is that he's he's bigger this year, so he's gone into his um, his second NRL preseason, and like anything organically, you get bigger because you're exposed to to more weight training and and, and power work, etc. Um, he's obviously a year older, which means that he's going to fill out. He's he's only a kid; he's only twenty. Going on, oh, he's only 21 going on 22, so he's still got a lot of growing to do from a physiological perspective. But the thing that um, I, I suppose stands out for me is he's got really, really good leg speed. And that was one thing that Brandon Smith brought. Brandon Smith brought really, really good leg speed in and around that ruck when he wanted to go for a dart. So I'm expecting Tyron Wishart to be that number 14. There's also uh, uh, two two players. One is Bronson Garlic, who came on and played uh, nine uh, for the for the remaining 15, 20 minutes of that trial on the weekend. And there's a young and up and coming hooker, which you may recognise the surname, Cole Geyer, mm. son of Matt Geyer, former Storm legend, um, and he's also the godson of Cameron Smith. Um, so he's on he's on a development contract. He's played a little bit in the trials. Um, the Storm have a very high opinion of him. Uh, and being on a development uh, list contract, he isn't eligible to play until at least round 11 or thereafter. So in the meantime, I think Tyron Wishart probably will be that number 14 if uh, Harry Grant doesn't get through 80 minutes. But the thing with Harry Grant is he's got a very big motor which was probably the, the negative against um, Brandon Smith, where he can tire out very quickly. And I, I agree with you. I actually think uh, the, the hectic cheese is a better 13 than he is a 9, but time will tell. Time will tell, and Tyron Wishart as well. Uh, you talk, talk about uh, sons of, of famous footballers. His old man Rod could kick a goal or three. Any idea how Tyron is off the tee? Yeah, um, just on what what, uh, the Storm sort of show on their social media, um, kicks a few goals at training and whatnot, but I think he's he's down the pecking order. But um, hopefully he's ahead of Cameron Munster. Cameron Munster couldn't kick a cow in the guts. (laughs) Uh, Well, we've talked about who you lost. Let's talk about who you got. Uh, You've already mentioned Aaron Penne. He's coming from the Warriors. You've got uh, Alicia Cartoa, who looked really good in that second half. Uh, for the storm on the weekend, and and Tarek Sims as well, who uh, that could be could prove to be signing of the season. He's uh, he's he's a big body. He's he's clever. Uh, he's got a great offload. Uh, he's solid in defence. Uh, what do you make of that move? 
Yeah, very, very, um, very smart and astute signing. And even when he did originally put pen to paper, he was making all the right, all the right words, uh, making all the right sounds and noises in terms of he's taking he's taking a significant haircut to come to Melbourne Storm, um, which to me shows that well, he's achieved a lot in his career, and the thing that's currently eluding him is a premiership ring. So I think he's made his intentions known. And from from again, we we talk about you know the the uh, the prophet of doom, everyone that's writing people off uh, the storm off in terms of losing so much experience. The good thing with Tarek Sims is is that you, all you got to do is cast your mind back to Origin last year. He was still playing State of Origin, so he's still a high quality rep player. Um, he's got the capacity to play on an edge as well as do an equal, if not better, job in the middle. So I'm expecting he'll probably uh, come on and um, play as a middle forward and really sort of help that middle third rotation with Christian Welsh, uh, Asafa Solomona, Tui Kamikamitha, Josh King. So it's, a, it's quite a formidable middle. Uh, and then you throw in Aaron Penne in there as well, who's, who's a big body. So yeah, they, that, that storm pack is still, still starting to look rather... Um, uh, threatening in, in from from an in, intimidation perspective, so I think Tarek Sims will bring some some um, some lessons in terms of uh, aggression. Um, hopefully, he can curb that curb curb that aggression and channel it in the right ways because he's had a bit of a, a rap sheet at the judiciary in, in recent times. But um, still a quality player, and I think his experience will help those younger players as well, like Alicia Katoa and Trent Loiero and uh, Joe Chan who's uh, obviously joined the club from the Catalans in the Super League, son of Alex. Yeah, it would be interesting to see uh, how he develops and, and comes through this season. All right, well, uh, you know, game one, uh, you got the, the Eels. Uh, what do you expect that 13 to look like? If, you, if you'll bellyache, what's your starting 13? Well, I don't think they're going to be at full strength. And uh, obviously with the injuries to Ryan Pappenhausen and um, now Justin Ollum, who um, unfortunately have a, has a fractured arm out of the first trial down in Geelong against the Roosters, so they're not going to be there at their at their very best. Um, traditionally, Melbourne Storm always start the year very very well, and I mean I think they've won 20 from 21 under Bellamy in terms of their round one games. The only one they didn't win was because they had a bye, so it's quite a remarkable record. They'll they'll be backing themselves. Bellamy will have them prepped, ready for round one. But I'm I'm actually expecting them to have a slower start in 2023. But once they get their key recruits back in and Pappenhausen is once again at full fitness uh, and Olam is back and they really have that sort of continuity and start building that cohesion in the spine of the 1, 6, 7 and 9 and they, they, they really build that. I'm expecting them to come home like a wet sail. So traditionally they start well and they sort of teeter off. I'm expecting the opposite this year. I'm expecting a uh, a big a big end of the season if if they can stay fit. All right. Uh, well, what about then on a flip side? Uh, we've talked about all the uh, the players that you've managed to shift on, the players that have come in. Is is there a player that's still at the club that you'd happily drive to another club? As in, uh, move on. Wouldn't mind seeing, 
Yeah, okay. I was going to say, wouldn't mind seeing the, the door hitting them on the proverbial on the way out. <laughs> yeah, um, that one, yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah, probably George Jennings. Um, uh, I, I think he's surplus to requirements. I, I know everyone says that the Storm are a little bit thin in the outside backs, but he's never. he's been a player that's always been a bit rocks and diamonds. On his day, he can be a great player. Um, but then in saying that too, he's, he can be he, he can be quite uh, indecisive in terms of being able to read defence. Now, um, being on a wing and being able to sort of read opposition shape, um, he's, from my observations, he struggles with that. He struggles uh, confidently under the high ball. And I suppose in the last couple of years, he's, he's, uh, the injuries are starting to mount as well. So he's probably the one player. All right. Okay. Uh, flip side of that, then uh, you, you've been a Storm fan for a long time. If you could parachute any Storm player from the past in their pomp into this team, who are you picking? Cooper Cronk. Oh, well, that was easy, wasn't it? You didn't even have to think. <laughs> no, he, he's yeah. I, I still think it's a travesty he hasn't got a statue uh, down down at uh, Amy Park alongside Cameron Smith and and Billy Slater. What he did. Uh, along with those two and, and Craig Bellamy to put Melbourne Storm on the map, not only in Melbourne, but wider Victoria and the state of Victoria um, shouldn't be underestimated. And everything that he's amounted to, uh, you know, premierships, um, you know, he's the second most capped Melbourne Storm player, uh, only behind Cameron Smith for 323 games for the club, multiple finals games and... Yeah, I, I just think he, he was he was probably probably the uh, you, when you talk about the big three, everyone talks about Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, and then Cooper Cronk. To me, it was the other way around. I think I thought I thought he was the maestro, he was the orchestrator, he was the one calling the shots. Um, yeah, very very big rap. I know he, I know he left um, and went to uh, went to Bondi, but um, you know I, I'm conveniently erasing those two years from my memory and I'm just going to focus on the uh, on the on the 16 years of service he gave the purple jersey yep. so keep the crop keep the crop for sure all right gobs before we let you go mate uh last question for you uh 1 to 17 where did the storm finish on the ladder in 2023 if i had to put my my last 10 dollars on it um as, as I've already prefaced, uh, I think they're going to finish the season strongly if they, if they stay fit. I can see them sitting fourth, at worst, sixth. Okay. So I'll go fourth. Go fourth. Fourth it is. Go fourth, young fella. Gobbs, thank you very thank much you very for your much, time, Rick. mate. And uh, keep up the good work at the uh, Stormcast as well, which is the official podcast of the Melbourne Storm Rugby League Club. Where can people find that, mate? Mate, it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Beautiful. Go well, Gobs. Have a great season, mate, and enjoy it. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Rick. Cheers, Cheers mate. mate. It is uh, 11 away from 10 here on Extra Time on SENZ. It is six away from 10 here on SENZ. This is Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through till 11 o'clock. After 10 o'clock, Dan O'Hagan, uh, commentator out of the UK, is going to join us. He commentates a lot on the Bundesliga. He's going to give us some insight on the Champions League games that are coming up tomorrow and the day after, including Eintracht Frankfurt up against Napoli.
Liverpool hosting Real Madrid, RB Leipzig against Manchester City and Inter Milan against Porto as well. We'll catch up with Dan to talk all of those. Keen to hear from you as well. 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811. Uh, I know there's a lot of Storm fans in New Zealand. If you're listening to Gobbs, what did you make of what Gobbs had to say about the Storm this season? He's, he's pretty confident by the sounds of things, although he thinks they might start a bit slow. Ben, no Brian Pappinghausen, no Justin Ollum. That is uh, a couple of big losses for them because Ollum is, I think, a very underrated player in their centres. Well, I, my prediction I had was the Storm kind of dropping off a little bit this year, not necessarily out of the eight because I think they're too good, but I did expect some form of drop. So I kind of think where he had them placed was probably fair. I'd say more that, yeah, that fifth, sixth. Yeah, around there because he did say, what, fourth to sixth, didn't he? But he ended up plumping for fourth, so... Uh, as you got to, as a fan. Well, if, they, if they have everyone fit, 100% they could easily finish top four, but they, I think they have lost a bit of quality and experience. Yep. So, who knows? NRL's a funny game. It is a funny game. It is a funny game. Uh, have you got your Supercoach team together yet? Uh, yes, I do. All right, good to hear. We'll, we might talk about that a little bit later on. I've put one together. I'm still not 100% convinced that I've got it right. Well, neither am I. Okay, good. That's good to hear. Up next, we're going to be talking football with Dan O'Hagan. Just gone 10 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. And uh, joining us now to talk Champions League football is commentator Dan O'Hagan. G'day, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. And, of course, uh, tonight, your time, tomorrow morning, ours. Uh, big game in the Champions League. Liverpool versus Real Madrid. This one is at Anfield. Um, Liverpool, obviously, not having uh, a vintage season. Uh, but I suppose... Uh, from expectation point of view, neither a Real at the moment either. No, Real Madrid, what, eight points off Barcelona in La Liga. Liverpool, we know, having, as you say, a difficult season. But I think there's been signs the last two games that Liverpool maybe are beginning to turn a corner, the win over Everton. And then I think at the weekend, more impressively, the win away to Newcastle. So Liverpool going to this in some half-decent form um, compared to what they've had for much of this season. So... A game, obviously, two clubs with enormous pedigree in the competition. Repeat of last year's final, which Real Madrid won in Paris. Um, so, yeah, two teams who are having not the seasons they maybe hoped for, but teams who maybe saved their best for this competition. I think uh, fair to say that Liverpool's midfield has uh, really let them down this season and, and maybe instead of splashing uh, a lot of money on Gakpo, they could have invested there. So uh, it really is on Jurgen Klopp to figure out a way to circumnavigate Cruz, Camavinga and Modric. It is. You know, Real Madrid, you mentioned those names there, world-class players in that Real Madrid team. And yeah, Liverpool's midfield has been a problem. Uh, lots of talk that they would like Jude Bellingham from Dortmund for next season. But right now, Klopp has to, I'm afraid, make do with what he has to try and find solutions. But um, yeah, as I say, these two clubs, no matter what league seasons they're having, they always seem to save their best form for the Champions League. And I'm sure Klopp has a, a game plan with how to handle uh, that uh, Real Madrid midfielder, and we'll see how things unfold tonight. Yeah, we will, we will. I mean, and that's the other thing, is that both teams really, uh, the Champions League is realistically the best option uh, to, to probably uh, win a trophy this year. In fact, uh, I, is, this is another, I, I guess, underlying story here, Dan, is that there has been some uh, talk that Real Madrid want Klopp and Salah to uh, to come in uh, next season, and uh, maybe that uh, that that is the the way forward for them. So that that might be a bit of a storyline here too. 
Possibly. Um, obviously, Carlo Ancelotti, though, at the moment, at Real Madrid, is enormously popular, but not a coach who tends to stay around for too long. Obviously, it's his second spell at the Bernabeu, and maybe he might fancy a move, or the club might just fancy a change. And with, with Jurgen Klopp, I see a lot of similarities with Klopp's last season at Dortmund, where he just could not get a tune out of a squad who, before then, under him, had been wonderful. So maybe Klopp has been there for too long now. The players have heard all he has to say, and maybe a change would be good for both parties there as well. Yeah, and that's the thing to Real Madrid, you know. If, if you're not winning La Liga and you're not winning Champions League, then you're looking for a new job generally, aren't you? That's true. Um, as I say, Ancelotti, as a man, um, attracts enormous warmth. He's such a gregarious guy, and, and his success at clubs around the, the major leagues has been incredible. But yeah, Real Madrid, to be eight points off Barcelona in La Liga, if they went out of the Champions League at this first knockout stage, that would maybe make his position almost untenable. Yeah. Do you think it's a game that could end, well, you know, a tie, because it's obviously home and away, that could end either coach's uh, time at the current clubs? I don't think so. I don't think Liverpool are a club who traditionally hire and fire mid-season. Um, you look at Real Madrid, you would say, who else is available to replace Ancelotti uh, with half a season to play? I think the outcome of this tie will not immediately define the coaches' futures. Maybe at the end of the season it will, but I think this tie, the two legs now and in early March, um, I don't think we'll see any major changes um, at either club, you know, depending on who loses this tie. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, it is at Anfield. Does that, does that almost give Liverpool a gold start? Look, European nights at Anfield, you know, for, for decades... It's one of the great European atmospheres. And yeah, you know, Real Madrid, for all they've been through, all they've experienced, when they hear, you'll never walk alone tonight, um, you know, they'll begin to tremble a bit because those nights, how many times have we seen down the years, Liverpool, back to the wall, have a home tie in the, in the Champions League and Anfield carries them through. So yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's worth a goal start, but certainly Anfield on a night like tonight will be absolutely magical. Yeah, and what, what's your prediction, Dan? Which way do you think this will go? I would edge towards across the two legs, Real Madrid, but I think Liverpool tonight might get something. Yep. Uh, maybe a draw, maybe a one-goal victory. Okay. All right. We'll look forward to that. Now, uh, we also have uh, on the uh, on the agenda Eintracht Frankfurt uh, taking on Napoli. You commentate a lot of Bundesliga, and Eintracht are, are a team that continue to reinvent themselves. They, they tend to lose their best players to other clubs at the end of each season, but they uh, continue to... To bat well above their average, if you like to use a cricketing term, uh, in the Champions League this season. Amazing season. They're only five points off Bayern now in the Bundesliga. Their coach, Oliver Glasner, says right now they're as hot as chip fat, he <laughs> says. And they have, they have, I think, uh, Ricardo, the best free transfer signing in any of the European leagues this season. Rondal Colomboigny uh, came in from Nantes on a free transfer, played in the World Cup final with France back in December. Uh, in the Bundesliga, 10 assists, 10 goals. And he's been wonderful. If he clicks tonight, he, he could well have a say in the outcome of the tie. They play a Napoli team who are, we know, in Italy, flying 15 points clear in Serie A, on course for their first title since the days of Diego Maradona in 1990. But I think, you know, across the four ties across these next two nights, this is the one that really stands out for me because there are two teams in great form, teams who score lots of goals, 
and this could be a great watch. Yeah, looking forward to it, mate. I mean, uh, you you mentioned Moani. They've also picked up Mario Goetze as well uh, for this season, and uh, Eintracht, like you said, close to the to the Bund- the top of the Bundesliga at the moment. Um, what makes them so good, and and what makes it difficult to stop them going forward? Um, they have a structure, um, and and it's not changed. Although they've lost players last season, um, on their left uh, wing they had Philip Kostic, who was Mister Assist as they won the Europa League. But he's gone. They brought in Philip Max in January, um, who's been wonderful. And, yeah, they all know their jobs. It's a system which works. You mentioned Mario Goetze, who's been really reborn, having come in after two years at PSV in the the Netherlands. He's back to somewhere near his best form. He made the the German World Cup squad, which was a wonderful story um, a few months ago. So, yeah, every player in Oliver Glass's system knows their job. And okay, they are rookies in this competition, but won the Europa League last season. But as I say, I think of all the ties, this is the one that really stands out for me as one which could go either way, but will be full of entertainment. And that's the other thing about Eintracht. If you look at their record this season, defensively, they have been pretty solid. Uh, whereas Napoli and Serie A have been, have been scoring goals for fun. And that, uh, you know, that front line of Irving Lozano and Victor Osman and then uh, the... What do they call them? The Georgian best um, on on, on the left. I mean, uh, do you think Eintracht have enough about them to stop that? Um, Eintracht have a wonderful goalkeeper, Kevin Trapp, who, again, was part of Germany's World Cup squad. Um, A key man in last season's Europa League success. Yeah, they do defend pretty well. um, But that Napoli firepower you mentioned there, I mean, Ossiman, 18 goals in 19 in Serie A. Kavatskelia, uh, 10 goals in, in Serie A himself. So, yeah, I mean, they are going to be very hard to stop it. Look, I'll put my neck out here. This will not be nil-nil tonight. <laughs> I like it. I like it, Dan. Uh, that is great. Well, there's another German team in action tomorrow. Uh, well, not tomorrow. It's a day after tomorrow, but tomorrow your time. And that is RB Leipzig. And they host a Manchester City side who are very much playing uh, very un-Manchester City-style football. Yeah, I mean, I saw Leipzig at the weekend. They had a terrific bounce-back win. They got beaten by Union Berlin, a, a title rival, I guess you'd call them these days, in the Bundesliga the week before. They came back to win 3-0 away at Wolfsburg at a canter on Saturday. And yeah, City, they are having issues, aren't they, at the moment? OK, they're, they're second-place Premier League, but they've played a game more than Arsenal. Um, obviously, all the off-field issues as well, which um, came to light two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I think in a normal season, you'd say this tie would be cities. But I just think, you know, the the unrest, the upheaval um, at City and also with, with uh, Leipzig, the change of coach in October, Marco Walzer has got that team playing some wonderful stuff. Um, they've gone from mid-table to be a, a key voice now in the Bundesliga title race. So I think across the two legs, this one not quite so easy to call as you might think. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, you know, you talked a bit about uh, Jurgen Klopp and... Uh, you know, maybe they've heard everything. I, I wonder if there's something similar going on with Pep at City. He's been there a long time for Pep. Um, and, you know, it doesn't feel like him and Haaland are quite clicking. There's obviously been something going on in the background as well that we haven't heard about with Jao Cancelo because they, they let him go to Bayern, which seems strange given he's the best fullback at the club and Kyle Walker's nearly 33. And outside of that, you've got a couple of younger players coming through. Uh, some unusual decisions from him and they've dropped 15 points away from home in the Premier League this season. Uh, it's a very un-City-like season. What do, you, what do you make of what's going on there? I think, yeah, the Cancelo thing, I mean, I was amazed to, 
to because that came out of the blue the move to Bayern. No one saw that coming. Um, I, I believe it's because he's a player who doesn't take kindly to missing games or or being taken off in games. Um, and Guardiola maybe to prove a point, you know, had him at the first chance moved on. But um, yeah, it, it, it's a funny season. I thought the point at Forest at the weekend, you know, in years gone by, that kind of game was won. City under Guardiola would have absolutely won by two or three goals. Um, so it's it's not working. You mentioned Erling Haaland. Um, obviously, his goals record is incredible, but he doesn't contribute much to the actual team play. He's a, a, a player who comes alive in the penalty area. Do City need a player who gets more involved elsewhere on the field? You know, it's hard to say when you look at Haaland's goals record, but is he the wrong kind of striker for Manchester City? Does he unbalance the way the team play um, in their build-up play? Is he, is he the right solution? Obviously, his goals are terrific, but, but do City need a player who maybe gives them a bit more elsewhere to, to contribute more to the overall team effort um, under Guardiola? We'll have to see. But, um, yeah, I mean, they are not an unhappy club, but I think just at the moment a, an un, unsettled club. Mm, yeah, I think that's 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 probably fair. Do you, here's one for you. I know you've you've mentioned uh, the, uh, the the off the field stuff at City. I mean, Pep did say last time something like this came up uh, that they had assured him everything was above board and that if they had lied to him uh, he, and he found out that he would leave. Um, what chance do you see City start next season without Pep Guardiola at the helm? I think there's more chance than there was maybe three weeks ago. Mm. Um, you know, you mentioned yourself that Pep doesn't tend to stay in a job for too long. City's been the outlier, really. Um, wasn't buying for long. Barcelona had enormous success, then moved on. Um, so maybe his time has come. Um, obviously, he leaves an amazing legacy in terms of, of trophies won. Whether um, in the years to come we'll find out that rules were broken to a degree that some of those titles are, are maybe rescinded or, or will have an asterisk next to them. I, I don't know, but certainly Guardiola um, and his football at City has been great to watch um, for years and years. But yeah, I, I just wonder if he will be there next season because, um, as you say, to say if he was lied to, he'd walk. Well, we'll see what, it, what the outcome is of this um, investigation because at the moment, City, um, yeah, I think there's more chance Guardiola will move on than there was maybe a month ago. Mm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. And uh, then finally, we've got. Uh, Inter Milan against uh, Porto. Uh, Inter Milan have, have stuttered a bit this season in Serie A. Um, they, as you mentioned, Napoli are uh, cruising to the title there. They take on Porto uh, in a couple of days' time, our time, or well, Thursday morning, our time. Uh, and this is a Porto team that have got a lot of injuries at the moment. Do you think Milan win this comfortably, Inter Milan? Um, not comfortably. I think you look at Porto's record, probably in terms of the of the teams involved this week, you'd say their current form is as good as anybody's. They've, I think, won the last 10 games across all competitions. They've won 19 of the last 22 and an unbeaten run uh, since October's home loss to Benfica uh, in the Portuguese league. So if Porto were fully fit going into this first leg in Milan, um, you'd maybe think they had more of a chance. But yeah, Inter, um, certainly, uh, I think the Serie A title is beyond them this season. 15 points adrift of Napoli. Had, had a good win at the weekend. They beat Udinese at home 3-1 with a, a fairly routine win. Um, but yeah, this one's a hard tie to call because, you know, I think this season, uh, Benfica we saw last week and Porto uh, this week, I think those are the best two teams from Portugal we've seen in the competition for years and years. 
And uh, I, I think Benfica could go deep into it. And, and Porto, maybe, if they get their team fully fit, they can be on their day a handful for anybody as well. Mm. Yeah, all right then, Dan. Uh, well, let's have a look. You, you, you think Liverpool might get something. Uh, Eintracht, Napoli, there's going to be, it's certainly not going to be nil all, we know that. Have you got a, a, a prediction for Leipzig City and uh, Inter Porto for us? I think Leipzig um, at home, It'll be a full house at the Red Bull Arena. City, you mentioned there, away difficulties. I think Leipzig will again take something here. I, I, I think a scoring draw uh, in that first leg against Man City. And for Inter Porto, um, maybe a narrow Inter win, but close. I think 1-0, 2-1 maybe there uh, for the Italians in that first leg, which would make the second leg in Portugal really interesting. Yeah, mate. It's, it's, uh, I think that's the thing that stood out uh, this season in the Champions League is just how tight these ties are at this stage normally, you know. Uh, or in the past, you know, you get to the stage and go, yep, yeah, but there's definitely uh, favourites and, and, and underdogs in these ties. But these, these ties this season have been really hard to call. It really has. Um, you know, this competition every year delivers the, the goods, and this year's been no exception. Uh, we saw some great matches uh, last midweek. And, uh, and yeah, coming up uh, the next two nights, uh, four great ties. And, yeah, I mean, each one is really hard to call. It is, mate. It is. Uh, just before I let you go, uh, Bayern got up uh, 1-0 over PSG last week. Uh, so they, they, they get to play the second leg at home with a 1-0 uh, lead. Looks like Neymar might be out for a little while. Um, do, you, do you think uh, Bayern get that done pretty comfortably at home now? You'd think, but, you know, I watched that uh, game last week and Bayern should have been two goals, three goals clear before PSG came back into it. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would, I think Bayern might look back and, and rue not getting more goals in Paris last week because, you know, PSG, even without Neymar, have quality to hurt any team. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if uh, Mbappe's fully fit and if, Messi's on song as well, but uh, no Neymar, but PSG certainly not a team to write off lightly, uh, even if you're buying playing in Munich. No, that is true. That is true. All right, Dan. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Uh, have a great day in Blighty and enjoy those games tonight, eh? Thanks, Ricardo. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Dan O'Hagan there with us, uh, football commentator extraordinaire out of the UK. Covers a lot of championship, uh, also Champions League and Bundesliga as well. It is 18 past 10 here on SENZ Extra Time. Our number, 0800 What has uh, sparked your ears this evening that you want to talk about? Was it Mark O'Donnell, the former Auckland coach, talking about the depth in New Zealand cricket and some of those decisions, uh, selection decisions made by the Black Caps? Uh, Keen to hear from you on that at Bay Oval. Uh, Is it the Champions League tomorrow morning? What are you thinking? Do you want to talk some football? Uh, Keen to hear from you. And, of course, we're not too far away from the start of two very big competitions. Super Rugby starts this weekend. Chiefs, Crusaders, in Christchurch is the opening game and we're only 10 days away from the start of the NRL as well. So much to talk, so much sport coming our way. Get on the blower. 0800 150811 0800 150811 It's 10.23 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. Our number 0800 150811 0800 150811 Mark from Sydney's called through. G'day Mark, how are you? G'day Ricardo, I'm good. The dogs are good, but we might be pretty wet pretty soon because it looks like we're going to have a dirty Wellington-type storm pretty soon here. Ah, that's no good, mate. That's no good. No, but at least we're inside, which is good, which is uh, 
far more than you can say for some other people over here. I mean, uh, Orange, which is a town out west, I've got family that live out near there, and there was a picture on Twitter where streets in Orange, the storm drains were overflowing because they couldn't cope with all the water, and I've got family who live just outside uh, Orange in a small village called Molong, so they had a bit of thunder, a bit of rain, but they're okay, thank goodness. Well, that's good to hear, mate. That's good to hear. Uh, what's uh, exciting you in terms of sport at the moment? Well, put it this way, not the Australian cricket team. I'll trade you the football ferns for our clown selectors and the team that are over there, and I'll keep our new debutante spinner, Todd Murphy, who got seven in his first test. I'll keep Dan Vittori because he's our spinner's coach, and I'll keep Nathan Lyon. But aside from that, I'll trade you for the football ferns because I reckon the football ferns would do better than the clowns we've got on the pitch in India at the moment. Wow, that's a big call. Uh, you, you're, you're missing a few. Is it Pat Cummins has come home? Isn't David Warner coming home? Is there someone else coming home as well? I'm not quite sure about a third person, but David Warner's definitely coming home because he's injured. He had a hairline fracture in his elbow, I believe, because he got clocked by a ball on the weekend. Um Cummins, I think, is coming home because of family reasons. He's got a family emergency, and whoever's coming home in number three position, I don't know. But um, it looks oh, like Hazelwood, real... Josh Hazelwood, it is. Josh Hazelwood, but it looks like it's a real kind of uh, clown show at the moment. And um, they, I think, they need to put, they just need to do a clean sweep of the selectors and put new selectors in there because it was pathetic in the first test where we didn't have Travis Head, our best batsman, and then in the second test. Four of our guys got out in less than three overs, and one of them got on. Uh, one Indian bowler got a hat trick with three of these guys, and they all got out the same way these four, trying to do the sweep shot. Well, it'd be interesting. I, the, I was going to say, sorry to interrupt you. It'd be interesting to see fine. if you if, if the Australian cricket team operates differently to how the Black Caps operate, because the selectors select the squad. Like, so we've got a fourteen man squad for this English series, right? But it's the yep. ca- it's the coach and the captain that select the eleven. Okay, but still, do you want to swap the Kiwi selectors for the Aussie selectors? Because I think if we had the Kiwi selectors over this side of the Tasman, we'd be a lot better off. Okay, okay. I mean, who is back at home that you would have taken that's not there? Well, to be honest, um, everybody that's in the B side, I'd probably replace them with the A side, supposed A side that's over there at the moment, because they could do a whole lot better. Mm. Uh, But like I said, I reckon... Do you think David Warner's done? He's close to it, I reckon, mm-hmm. because um, form-wise, he's just... It, it's like um, your friend with the Warriors was... Talk, uh, sorry, your friend with the Storm before was talking about those brothers who went to the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. I think in the same way it's happening with Warner, the injuries are mounting up. Yeah, because he got a concussion as well as the fracture, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's not, and, not a great combo. You know, we know across any kind of sport, having a concussion, especially a frequent number of concussions, is not a good thing. So, you know, if he wants, I mean, especially uh, being a family man like he is, if he wants to enjoy a healthy future with his family, it may be a good thing for him to step out of the game right now. Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, what about uh, Super Rugby? Is that moving the needle over there at the moment? Is, there, is anybody kind of excited that it kicks off this weekend? Well, we are excited with the Waratahs here in Sydney. I'm a diehard Waratahs supporter myself, and... Uh, Yes, it. I mean, at least here in Sydney, people are confident the Tars are going to have a very good season. So, um, yeah, we're pretty confident about the way things are going here in New South Wales. Um, Ten days to the NRL season, so we're all looking forward to that. I'm sure the Panthers, who are my team over here, can do quite well. Um, 
you know, we've had, I, I've read one of our young stars is out for the season with a knee injury, unfortunately, and we've lost a few stars, but I reckon Pen, Penrith have got the depth to get the premiership again this year, but uh, I'm pretty confident about the Warriors in my second team, being half Kiwi like I am, and I think the Warriors can actually make the top eight, and I would put them at least in number six position this year, because they've got new, good talent, and I think whole the most important issue with the Warriors is they need consistency when it comes to coaching and the administration because I think Stacey Jones did a great job I think he would would have been better as the permanent coach I don't know enough about this Andrew Webster guy to offer an opinion on him yet so I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt but um, hopefully they have some stability in the boardroom and coaching wise because they need it because that's affecting the team's on-field performance you know you've just got to look at where they had Nathan, uh, what's his name, who was the coach up till early Nathan last Brown. year. That's it. And, um, you know, the whole thing with him, that was just an absolute circus and it didn't do any wonders for the team on or off the field. And um, I think if they can get stability in the boardroom with not as much infighting in the boardroom and behind the scenes and they can get stability in the coaching scene, the team will be, do really well this season. All right. Uh, well, I'm just having a look. Yeah, it's uh, Tylan May is ruled out for the whole season um, for the Panthers. Uh, they've also lost um, Uppy Coruscant, the, the hooker who sort of drove the team forward, and Viliami Kikau, who was the guy that really bent the line for them. Um, so yep. there, there is a lot uh, to, to unpack there, and I don't really think they've replaced like for like just yet. But uh, it will be interesting to see how uh, Ivan Cleary takes the season on. It's going to be a real test of his coaching ability, because I think he's actually going to have to change the way the Panthers play. I think he is. But the good thing about Penrith compared to a lot of other teams is they have good development uh, structure with regard to how they bring young players up from the reserve grade and their, uh, what they call the Holden Cup over here. And, you know, they bring their nurture and they bring up their talent and they nurture their talent from the lower grades really well to where when they do take the field in the NRL competition, they're mature and deep enough with regards to skill, maturity, and um, having a good head on their shoulders, game-wise and off-the-field-wise, to really make a positive impact for the Panthers. Mate, it's going to be an interesting season. I'm really looking forward to it, Mark. Thanks very much for your call. It will be. Thanks a lot, Ricardo. Cheers, mate. It's up past 10 right. here at SENZ Extra Time. Give us a call. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. You want to talk NRL? Uh, you're a passionate Panthers fan like Mark. You've got a team that you want to uh, you want to talk about your team. Uh, maybe it's it's not the NRL. Maybe it's Super Rugby, which does kick off uh, this weekend, or possibly even Champions League. 0800 150 811. Keen to hear from you. This is SENZ Extra Time, 25 away from 11 tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Eintracht Frankfurt play Napoli in the Champions League. Liverpool take on Real Madrid as well. This is what the markets look like. Eintracht uh, paying 3.25. Napoli, the favourites, even though the away side at $2.10. And the draw is paying $3.40. Dan O'Hagan said it's definitely not going to be nil all. Uh, there's going to be golds in this one. Uh, both these sides uh, are good going forward. Over three and a half goals, paying 320. Quite like the look of that. Quite like the look of that. So uh, that's a one game. Liverpool are uh, favourites at home against Real Madrid. $2.20. Real Madrid paying 310. 
and the draw at 340. I tell you what, the value is definitely with Real Madrid there because I think that's a very even game. Uh, but we will see. Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, has been talking about the lead up to this game and what it means to the club. I don't know. Different. I know different things happen to us with Real Madrid. To, if you want to me, uh, Dortmund. I have a Dortmund already a Real Madrid story, um, and <laughs> one of the biggest clubs in the world, most successful clubs for sure. Um, won this competition. I don't know how often, um, and super experience. And our own story now. Just recently, if you want. So we played this final in Paris and I didn't watch it back since then until this weekend. So and the thing I realized immediately now I know why I didn't watch it back. So, but I had to have a proper torture um, because we played a good game and we could have won the game and that's a decisive goal. We could because we didn't. They scored a decisive goal, we didn't. And that was the reason. Um, you could see in this game how experienced uh, Madrid is, how little they are fussed by the fact when the, when, the, when the other team has chances. They don't lose confidence in one second. They know our chance will come. They are there for that. Then they defend with legs, deep defending together. So this is this team and that's the competition and that's what you can learn from them, definitely. But that's seven, eight months ago. Um, before that, the last time when, we, when they knocked us out, we played there on the training ground and here in an empty stadium. Uh, here the game was really good. was a really good nil-nil where we had... We, 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 we had yeah. We let them run. Let me say it like this. We let them work hard for the money and um, that was good. But this is now different teams, same clubs, different teams, different times. And so there's a history. In the last few years, one of us was kind of always in the final. That's how it feels, at least. Um, and usually, if you want to go to the final, it's always you have to kick us out or them. This time we play each other. So let's see who can go through. Just taking team news, how's Darwin? Any chance that he'll be available to play? There's a chance. Um, from all the possible scenarios, we apart from being absolutely nothing, that's not the case. Um, we have to see how we can deal with the pain. Um, and when we know that, we have to make a decision. Tom? Yeah, um, obviously it's, it is different teams and whatever, but you've got the feeling that um, you've wanted to play Real Madrid at a full Anfield since 2018, since you lost to them in the, in the final, for them to actually come here and your team to be absolutely firing against them. Yeah, if that would be a one-leg game just at home against Real Madrid. That would exactly say that, but I, I, I cannot... I played in a full Bernabeu as well, and that's a pretty impressive audience as well, let me say it like this. So um, that will help, hopefully, tomorrow night. And I know our people will give the absolute everything. We, I, I can't wait to, to play the game, really. But going then to the Bernabeu is a, is a tough place as well to go. So they turned around a lot of things. So and we didn't even we don't even have a lead yet. So that will be really hardest work. But who cares? It's Champions League, and it's um, how I said it's one of the biggest games in the world. At least one of the biggest game I ever heard about. And with the 
the, 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 the recent history with one of us in the final, blah, 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 and, and, and quite successful in the competition, difficult to play against, um, grinding results out, all this kind of thing. It's a, it's a, it will be a top football game, and I'm, I'm really happy that we can play it now. Um, like four weeks ago, it would have been different, but life is all about timing, and maybe we found back our feet right in time um, for this game. Even when I would have expected us to be ourselves as well, even if we wouldn't have won the last two games, because it's a different competition and you have to use this opportunity. But so now we have these two results and hopefully we can build on that. But we need to. We need to play a super game. We need to play two super games, to be honest, um, to get through. But I have no problem with that because if you don't play your best, you don't have a chance. Real Madrid doesn't have to play their best and still have a chance. <laughs> and that's the, that's the difference. And um, that's uh, pretty special. But I can't wait. Jürgen, how much encouragement do you draw, not just going into this Champions League game, but for the rest of the season, the last two performances and results, Liverpool looked a lot more like, like a team again? True. I did. Um, but we still have to we still have to to, to, to to prove that point. So that's that's how it is. Now that's a different competition and whatever we can take. But then it's after that is Crystal Palace. Um, so we need results. That's there's no, no shadow of a doubt. Um, we were already in a similar situation. I don't say performance-wise, but result-wise, we're in a similar situation directly after the World Cup break, I think, with the two wins, look like, oh, now we are there. So we have to prove that point. Uh, but you're right, it looks different, and um, we feel it, and we see it, um, helps the mood massively. Um, and from here we have to go. So that's how it is. But um, for tomorrow night, whatever we would have done at the weekend, I would have expected us to, to, to fight with all we have, because this is a... You always work so hard for qualifying for the Champions League. So I really think you have to cherish these moments where I just think, OK, that's Liverpool, Real Madrid. That's Israel. If you, if you, we all dreamt of that. We all did. And um, that will never change, that it will be a special game. And so, um, yeah, I expect Anfield on their toes, to be honest. I'm really happy for the people that they saw us in a better shape the last two games, that they have a bit more things to, 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 to look forward to. And, yeah, let's go together again. Yeah, let's go together again. That is Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, talking ahead of uh, tomorrow morning's game between Liverpool and Real Madrid at Anfield uh, in the Champions League, a two-legger, of course. And uh, both clubs, really, their best chance of silverware this year is the Champions League, as funny as that sounds, because they're uh, both well behind the eight ball when it comes to their league titles. It's 17 away from 11 here on SENZ.